the podcast for the Formula One fanatic with me, Chris Moss and Jay Peach. Thank you for stopping by and listening to the podcast. Don't forget, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you will never miss a new episode. Also, don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Just search Around the Outside Podcast on Facebook. And we're at ATO Podcast underscore on Instagram. See, I don't know about you, Jake, but after the triple header we've just had, I feel the past week has been a little bit lonely without a Grand Prix. However, the wait has ended. This weekend, we return to the track, a new track in a new country. Formula One comes to Saudi Arabia at the new Jeddah circuit. We will have a closer look at our new addition to the calendar a little bit later on in our podcast, as well as all the other news and gossip in the paddock. But first, let's take a look back to a new edition of the result of Qatar, and also let's pay tribute to one of Formula One's iconic greats. So on Sunday, the 28th of November, we got some sad reports uh, coming out from the Williams family of the passing of Sir Frank Williams. He is an icon, legend and hero to the sport of Formula One. And we here around the outside are dreadfully sorry to hear about his loss and our commiserations do go to his family. Sir Frank was born in the middle of the Second World War and in South Shields, he grew up with his aunt and uncle and went to a private boarding school where a friend drove Frank in a Jaguar XK150, and that is what began his start and passion for fast cars. After a brief career as a driver and mechanic, Frank himself founded Williams Racing Cars in 1966. Privately funded by himself, he ran cars in Formula 2 and Formula 3 into the early 70s. 1972 saw him build a Formula 1 car for the first time by Williams Works, And struggling for financial support, he took on a partner in a Canadian oil tycoon, but Frank left after he lost ownership of the team. 1977, he took engineer Patrick Head, got an empty warehouse in Oxfordshire and announced a new company, Williams Grand Prix Engineering to Formula One. The same team he owned up until he sold it in 2020. The first win for the team came in 1979 with Clay Regazzoni at the 1979 British Grand Prix. That was the beginning of the floodgates opening for the team and the first driver's title and constructors came in the following 1980 season. Alan Jones, the Australian driver, winning the driver's championship that year. The team were a force in the 80s and 90s, scooping up the remaining titles in their catalogue, six more drivers and eight more constructors, the last being in 1997 for Jacques Villeneuve. In 1986, he had an accident after leaving the Paul Ricard circuit get into a plane to London to try and go to a half marathon. The accident left him fighting for his life in which he came out with a fractured spine leaving him unable to move any of his limbs. The accident never deterred his love of motorsport and was always keen to return to track. The team won the constructors that season and narrowly missed out on the drivers with Mansell retiring in the final round to give Prost his first title. Our special guest on the podcast this year, Pastor Maldonado, was Sir Frank's final ever winner in ownership of the Williams team in 2013. Sir Frank and later his daughter Claire claimed a total of 114 Grand Prix victories in more than 700 Grand Prix in the sport. All teams this weekend are going to be paying a special tribute on their cars to Frank. And as we said at the beginning of this uh, segment, we here at Round the Outside also pay our tribute to a great man. Very much so. And I just think the thing to say, Chris, is like what he's achieved in the sport it will never be done again. No one, No one person, I don't think, will ever enter Formula 1 
ever again building their own car and getting the team to where it is now and having such longevity to where we are in 2021 all of that time it just won't happen again will it no it's it's very much big companies coming in to do it we saw Ross Braun do it for one season and then obviously became Mercedes but the way you know in the 70s where it built up himself funding himself having the people around him it's just it's just not going to happen anymore and that is why I think Williams are such an iconic team and really it's sort of a masterpiece of the Formula 1 grid and you know I think we were all quite happy to see the Williams name remain when they got taken over last season um, but yeah it's a very you know sad point in Formula 1 and you know obviously we've had quite a lot of you know, sad points this year with obviously Murray Walker at the beginning of the season and obviously Frank Williams. It's, you know, very much Formula One is is sort of ending the, the golden era. Mm. Yeah, very much so. Frank Williams will always be remembered in Formula One and our thoughts are with him and his family at this time. All right, let's move on to Qatar last time out. Well, last time out in Qatar, it was once again from the following race in Brazil, grid penalties galore, where we, we in, qual- in qualifying we had Bottas deducted three places and Verstappen deducted five places on the grid after qualifying because of Pierre Gasly basically having some wing damage and some trouble with his car at the end of qualifying, which then put both of those drivers on the back foot. However... Max Verstappen capitalised, starting P7 and soon made his way up back to second in all but a couple of laps. And a dominant Mercedes and Red Bull close on the constructors gap with the DNF for Bottas though later in the race because of punctures for both Williams and Bottas too. It was almost like starting to see sort of reminiscence of Silverstone a few years ago, Chris, where all the tyres just seemed to start to go. And the thing with Qatar and, and, and I think what happened with all the punctures and what kind of threw the race into a lot of jeopardy and a lot of people were worrying whether they could do a one-stop or two-stop is the fact that they hadn't been to Qatar before and they had no data to go on for Formula 1 cars. So it was a really risky and edgy time. But some people made it work. A lot of drivers came out of it not unscathed, no, sadly. and obviously the pace of the front two, you know, they had the pace to do a two-stop and still be comfortably in the lead. They were, you know, in another mm. realm uh, when, when it came to the Grand Prix. So I think a lot of people tried to go for the one stop. Obviously, Bottas tried it. And to be fair, he, he was one of the last ones to pit. And, you know, he still got a puncture. So a lot mm. of people probably, you know, getting a, 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 a Christian Horner sort of jiggly leg as to whether their car was going to make it, probably <laughs> especially on the Alpine uh, pit wall. But, you know... It's just one of them things. It's part of racing. I mean, like you say, we saw it in Silverstone 2013. We saw it even to Silverstone 2020 when uh, both the Mercedes went on on penultimate in the last lap. Um, but yeah, it it was it was a it was an exciting race. I mean, we've had two races now where one of the big names have been towards the back of the grid. Obviously, I know Max was only seventh, but it's lower than where he has been for most of the season. 
But we we saw some racing, we saw overtaking. That's you know what what we wanted to see. And we were thinking that that was going to real really hamper him at the start. But as I said, he kind of made very good headway uh, at the beginning of the Grand Prix and basically took no prisoners and found himself where he needed to be. But now this race result, Hamilton means that he gets a gap down into single digits to eight points to be exactly with another one-two for our protagonists uh, with uh, with Hamilton and Verstappen. Um, eight points is really, really a small gap, isn't it? Considering that where we are in this stage of the season compared to when you look at the rest of the hybrid era and, and where we've been in the last two races. This championship has been so, so close. It's ebbed and flowed. It's been tooth and nail right to the conclusion as we approach Jeddah this weekend. And we still don't know what way it's going to go. And that's the beautiful thing about it. Uh, I, I saw on, on social media this week that the total distance of the Grand Prix we've been doing is basically the same journey as going from San Francisco to Florida to uh, <laughs> Miami. Right. By doing that journey, if they were going like in a straight line, that entire journey, Max would only be about 28 seconds down the road from Lewis Hamilton. Where That's did like, you see that? It's uh, such a cool fact. Yeah, it was like, uh, I'm pretty sure it's on, on Facebook. Other social media platforms are available. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was like, Imagine doing like 3,000 plus miles, but only being 27, 28 seconds down the road. That's that's mad. Yeah, that is crazy when you when you look at it like that. And yeah, it could be even closer. could be even 25 or 24 by the time we finish. Well, by finish the end of Sunday, if Hamilton gets fastest lap in the race, they'd be side by side. <laughs> how mad would that be after three, how that, what, 3,070 odd miles or, or whatever? Um Another solid performance from Ferrari, though, Chris, who brought it home in 7th and 8th, ahead, crucially, of McLaren, who came 9th and 12th, respectively, cementing their third place pretty much in the constructors. It has to be said, a gap of 39 and a half points between those two teams now, with a maximum of 88 remaining, means it's looking very unlikely McLaren are going to keep that third place in the constructors for a second season in a row. And as we've been saying, Chris, Ferrari have really pulled it back. There was an impressive performance from Sainz and Leclerc with fifth and sixth in Interlagos in Brazil. And they did all they could in Qatar and and finished right behind each other and, and crucially ahead of McLaren. How important do you think those last two races have been for them? I, I think the, the the race that McLaren are going to look back on as, as the turning point would be Russia. Mm, mm. I, I think, you know, if Lando had won that Grand Prix... They'd be, you know, they'd they'd still be behind Ferrari, but Jesus, they'd be a lot closer <laughs> than what they are now, mm. you know. And I wonder if they, at the end of the season, will rue keeping Lando out, you know, that one or two extra laps compared to Lewis Hamilton, as you know, what has potentially cost them quite a few million mm-hmm. dollars. Mm. Do you have sympathy for McLaren though, because they they the you know the way they've turned it around especially this season, they are way back up there. And although, you know, there's been some judgment calls to make in those races, you can't discount the progress that they've made to where they are now. I wouldn't say sympathy is the word. I mean, they were very good last year. Um, they've Again, they've been on it this year. Mm, mm. You know, they've won a Grand Prix. They've had a one-two. They've had a pole position. You know, they're breaking bounds compared to what they have been in the past, you know, eight years. So I don't feel like they need the sympathy. I just feel like, especially in this second half of the season, Ferrari have, to quote their driver, 
sent it. Yes, <laughs> send it, send it uh, down the inside. Yep, Carl signs is uh, well, and Leclerc. Leclerc we know is it's very fast overall, but signs when he really wants to race, he can be absolutely formidable and. They certainly have been this season. Um, just incredible performance from both of them. And as we were talking just a little while ago about Alonso and he, how he was relieved to get to the end, well, that's because Alpine backed their stunning and shocking form from Hungary with another, another double top five finish in Qatar. Another podium for Fernando Alonso. His first in, get this, seven years since the Hungarian Grand Prix in 2014. When he was at Ferrari and they had like, you remember that Ferrari car, Chris, that looked like a bit like a, a Dyson Hoover at the front Dude, of it? And, and good, it good like a, Ferrari. looked like a duck, like a duck mouth, <laughs> almost kind of like hoovering up the track. It was kind of weird. Um, but, and then of course, Esteban Ocon finished a weekend fifth as well, bringing home another massive haul of points for the Enstone French backed team. And it's the fourth time this season they had reached double figures points wise. Uh, after Portugal, Hungary, Netherlands, and most recently, Qatar. And again, Alpine, another team that at the start of the season, we were expecting to be really up there with McLaren and Ferrari. Or some people say Aston Martin. And Aston Martin, yes, like I did. Um, That prediction hasn't gone so well, but Alpine seem to be finding their their form and and their momentum towards this latter part of the season after a, a difficult start. Yeah, they they seem to have sort of settled in. You know, they've they've had a couple of podiums this season now. They they've got some strong points. I think they're running maybe fifth, sixth in the championship at the minute, and you know they're they're in a tight battle with Alpha Tauri as well. Who you know again, Pierre Gasly absolutely been in scintillating form this year. But you know, it's all whether these teams can sort of progress further and be the one to beat next year. I mean. Alpine by having a good end to the year might look stronger for coming for the next season, but we don't know obviously if any of these are doing last minute updates on the car. You know we don't know how any of these teams are you know trying to battle for each other. You know we obviously see Mercedes and Red Bull tooth and nail every Grand Prix, but you know they might have had like a small bit of finance that they could just oh we'll just have this small little upgrade, and you know. Who knows? It could be paying dividends for these last three tracks, which, you know, they're pretty high-speed tracks. And Alpine, would ha- you'd have to say, that engine's probably been one of the lesser engines this year because you've got Ferrari, which have been up there quite a lot. Uh, you've got, obviously, the Honda engine, which has won quite a lot of races this year. And, obviously, you've got the Mercedes engine, which, again, has won quite a lot of races this year. So, power-wise, you'd probably say the Alpine is one of the, the weaker ones out, out of the four. But to, to get a podium on what is a power track, you know, it's looking promising for next season. Yeah, certainly. And if they can carry that forward, who knows? It is, again, a massive unknown, much like this season with the title fight. But uh, if, yeah, you've got, I guess you've got to take some kind of guys on, on the end of this season as to how teams are doing operationally, logistically and, and sort of working well as a team. And again, just a final point, Chris, on Qatar, our inaugural race there, if for Formula One. What did you make of it? It's really quick. It's quick. Um, it's very windy. Um, I, I've, I've I've watched many MotoGP races there. I mm. quite enjoy the circuit. I f- didn't think before this season cars would go around well there. 
Mm. Cars go around very well there. Um, <laughs> and I'm very much looking forward to seeing it in 2023. Yeah, after the World Cup, we have a, a year's break for the World Cup and then we'll be back in Qatar and hopefully enjoying, um, you know, equally as exciting race up at the top of the field and equally way, th- way back through the pack. All right, that was our roundup of Qatar. Let's look ahead to all the news and gossip that's happened in the last couple of weeks in Formula One. <laughs> Looking ahead to the 2022 season, Charles Leclerc says that the new formula of cars will require a different driving style at low speed. This is mainly because the cars are heavier than this year's formula, some 40 kilograms heavier. Talking to Autosport, Leclerc says he's getting more confident every time he goes into the Ferrari simulator, although earlier in the season, Sergio Perez has said he wouldn't be surprised if the cars were just as quick or even quicker. Lando Norris saying, you know, he expects it to be a bit more like a Formula 2, Jake. Yeah, well, I mean, film Formula 1 teams are constantly, you know, when there's new regulations, trying to find ways to improve the speed uh, of of their cars and going into a new season. We normally will have cars that are slower. So to go across from this formula of cars to the next one and transition in that in that phase for them to be the exact same speed as the previous formula will be quite an achievement because if you think about the you know the V8 cars if this is all in proportion of course but if you think about going from the V8s to the hybrid era you imagine you know, do you remember how how much teams struggled in that first 2014 season and unless obviously you're a we're Mercedes. not just yeah unless you're a Mercedes of course but the majority of the grid i mean we're talking not just about performance and speed, but we're talking about reliability as well. And when you factor all of these points in being made by Charles Leclerc and, and Sergio Perez and Lando Norris, I guess they're not really taking into account reliability at the moment. So yes, they could be just as quick, but they equally could have some problems reliability-wise as well. Although the the rules, of course, have have simplified a lot of things for the teams and, and tried to make the, the racing closer, more standardised parts that the teams... Um, have to use on their cars so you would think hopefully there wouldn't be so many teething problems however you know as a, a team a whole team of mechanics and engineers have got to get their heads around a totally new setup of car there are going to be sometimes leading up to you know the start of the season and, and, and going more into the next season that they're going to have to be scratching their heads a little bit because they're, they're learning it as, as you know as they, as they go along pretty much and adapting to it just like they did with the, the hybrid era. Um, and with Lando Norris's comments, like it being a GP2 car, what does he mean by that? Does he mean on the heavy side? Does he mean the way the cars turn? Are they, are they more Maybe like Maybe you more should ask Lando end? about GP2 cars. <laughs> GP2 engine, GP2. Um, well, we know the engines are going to be pretty much the same engine uh, so that's not going to change. Um, but yeah, very interesting to hear hear people's thoughts um, going into it. Although, I, I, this is, again, this is only simulated runs. I feel like my question for you, Jake, is would next season, if the cars are more like F2, as Lando says, mm. would it benefit teams like Haas, who have got two drivers who have recently been promoted from Formula 2, mm. with the drivers that they sort of are more likely to remember how that way that car feels? And obviously, the likes of... Guan Yu Zhou, yeah, the new drivers Bottas, coming in. you know, mm. very much still a GP2 or F2 driver going up to Formula One. If the handling's very much the same, he's he's going to be, you know, one of the ones to watch out next year. Yeah, 
No, absolutely. And, you know, it will test the experienced driver's metal and and all of what they've learned over the years uh, to see if they can adapt quickly to it. Because, yeah, you would think that if the cars are going to be having that kind of profile, then Guan Yu Zhou, Oscar Piastri uh, and drivers like that, and, yeah, as you say, Mick Schumacher and Mazepin coming up very recently, will have a hopefully a greater time of it. But then again, you know... This is Lewis Hamilton. This is Max Verstappen. This is Lando Norris. This is George Russell, future world champions that we're talking about that have got round their heads around, you know, these these years' cars and and outperformed them way beyond their performance and setup. So, yeah, it's uh, there's my diplomatic response to you, but uh, yeah, basically saying I'm, I'm a bit undecided. But you could look at it on both sides there. Um, our next bit of news now, quite an interesting one, and I think this is quite throw up quite a bit of debate actually Martin Brundle has recently asked who his top five drivers are in the current F1 field and he excluded Sebastian Vettel from this list and sadly he believes Vettel's heyday is over and I would probably have to agree with him a little bit would would you put Vettel in your top five drivers at the moment Chris or or would you leave him out of that what what would be your top five uh, at the minute you can't discount Lewis and Max. They'll be they'll be up there. Mm, they're a given, I guess. But I, I'd I'd probably choose three of the younger drivers. To be fair, mm. I'd say Vettel does miss out. I'd I'd probably go George Russell because I think he's been absolutely phenomenal this year. Mm. You know, Lando Norris again, and probably Charles Leclerc. I'd say they're probably the top top five on on, on a given day if they get you know. If Lando gets the conditions he had at Spa and and Russia, he's up mm. there. George mm. again, he was up there for both races. Leclerc is you know very consistent and he's a, he's a proven race winner. And then obviously Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen, they could be in second gear and still <laughs> they're in a different formula. <laughs> yeah. So I'd mm. say at the minute they're probably the top five on the grid. Yeah, it's sad to see how Vettel has you know since the. The, those dominant rebel days and going to Ferrari didn't quite work out and then obviously you know this is a new venture for him at Aston Martin and it, it might come good in in in, in the next formulas of the cars because Aston Martin are heavily investing in facilities there and and the resources that they're trying to put in especially staff as well behind the scenes that sure. they're trying to and it's recruit. not to say like Sebastian Vettel's not had a bad season either he's had, he's had a podium. no he's he had a second place from one you yep. know and he he has been outperforming Lance Stroll at quite a few races as well. So mm. I think if Vettel can, you know, not necessarily get the same sort of car as what Red Bull had back in the early 2010s season, mm. I feel like, you know, Vettel could be the one to guide Aston Martin further up the grid mm. if the car ends up being, you know, where it needs to be. And Alonso's proven that, you know, even if if you're think if we're thinking of young drivers for this, you don't have to be young to still put in a great performance and show that you've still got it. So we've got uh, Fernando think... Alonso Jr., mate. He is a young driver. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that not gonna not gonna carry on with that one. Um, I would say with my top five drivers, when you're looking at Leclerc, I would think it's very close between giving Leclerc a place and Pierre Gasly because I just don't think Gasly gets the recognition that he deserves. But 
I see where I see where you come from, Leclerc, because you know it's it's every it's every single race. But you could say that with Gasly right now, and you know he's showing he's showing people what he's made of. What 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 sways it for you between them two? For me, is they both perform really well with a lower team. Um, mm. You know, obviously Charles Leclerc didn't win any races with the, the uh, Alfa Romeo team, but the difference is when he then moved to a bigger team, Charles Leclerc's turned it on and got arguably better whereas Pierre Gasly didn't really improve if anything he got worse when he went to Red Bull but again that mm. could be just down to the pressure but went back to Alfa Tauri and he's turned it back on again so I'd say for the fact that Charles Leclerc can perform under more pressure and I don't think you can get much more pressure than being at Ferrari no you know I feel like <laughs> he's turned it on with Ferrari and you know he, he's he's done the business he beat Sebastian Vettel you know he, he won you know, the Italian Grand Prix, you know, something that Ferrari hadn't done for many, many seasons. Mm. So uh, f- for me, uh, that's that's what sways Charles Leclerc over Pierre Gasly. Fair point. No, that makes sense. And to you guys listening, who are your top five drivers on the grid? Do you agree with us? Do you think we are totally wrong and we're so far out? Um, way off, way off the park. Um, let us know on our social media, Facebook really and Instagram. Who, if anyone's going to put Mazepin in there. Well, if we put Mazepin in there, I mean, surely it's... Oh, I have to be careful here. I don't know. <sighs> surely it's a joke. No, I'm going to say it. He's at the back of the grid, so... And um, and sorry, he has that yeah, n- nickname, people, sadly. People might say Mick Schumacher, though, because he's an upcoming driver. So. Yeah, no, he know. is. So, so Mazepin, he, he's still got a chance to, to get in there. Mick Schumacher is up for Rookie of the Year at, uh, I can't remember what uh, awards it is, but um, some motorsport awards um, happening. It's probably, probably um, called the Motorsport Awards. <laughs> yeah, probably that. Um, but I know he's in one of those categories for that. So, yeah, no, fair point. Um, okay, moving on to our next bit of news, Chris. Um, and Bernie Eccleston, former Supremo former one, has been speaking up about Lewis Hamilton breaking Schumacher's record. Yeah, um speaking about it and Bernie doesn't want Lewis to break the record you know it's Michael Schumacher's record which they're tied with and Bernie says you know it's probably a little bit of you know respect you know keep Michael to be up there I mean I don't know about you Jake but I'm pretty sure it was Michael Schumacher that said that records are there to be broken exactly yeah and I feel like people don't become in these positions and break records and become the the I, mean, I don't know legends and icons they are without having that kind of mindset. So no, for Bernie I mean, Eccleston to come out and say that, I feel like it's a bit a bit odd. I mean, Schumacher broke Fangio's record, which was there for you know just shy of forty five years. You know, we haven't even got more than sixteen years, and you know Lewis is on the verge of potentially breaking it this year. You know, so I don't know. Maybe Bernie just wants to hold on to a bit more of the golden era, which, you know, F1's sort of moving away from. And sort of the end of sort of Bernie's sort of era of Formula One as well is is obviously the big Schumacher sort of scene. Obviously, Lewis has won quite a few championships with Bernie at the helm. But obviously, Liberty Media now taking in Lewis is still, you know, sort of the golden man along Mm, with Max. mm. Do you think there's a little bit of it there as well that I don't I'm, I'm not sure that Bernie Eccleston and Lewis Hamilton always saw eye to eye on things and because Lewis Hamilton was quite outspoken do you think there's some something in that around around all of that um, maybe but I think 
know, but Bernie was, has always been controversial in saying mm. things, you know. <laughs> really? May, may, maybe he just wants to, you know, be a bit more relevant. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's one way of saying it. Um, yeah. Well, what do you well, What do you think about Bernie's comments? I I personally think that it would be great to see a record broken because I have to agree with what Schumacher said himself. Records are there to be broken, and that's how you know people get better. That's how we evolve. But let's let's you know let's not beat around the bush here. That is one Titan record to beat, and uh, it's incredible whoever was to do it, no matter what. Um, and moving on to Alonso and his podium in Qatar, which we were talking about in our Qatar roundup, his first in seven years. He says he doesn't want to wait around that long again for another one to come. Uh, really? <laughs> you don't say. But it says that Alpine should keep their feet on the ground and, you know, just realise where they're actually at. And, you know, throughout the season, there have been lots of races like that, Chris, hasn't there? There have obviously been the, the Alpine victory at Hungary, but that was because of the race was a little bit different. If you look at Vettel's performance in Baku, getting the second place, that was because the race was kind of a bit all mixed up and everything. Um, some of these performances have come out of good fortune, albeit that they've had to still finish the job and get it done, but they've come out of of luck in in, in some ways. So do you, do you sort of agree where Alonso's coming from there, or do you feel like he's just being kind of... Uh, cautious about oh, things see i don't know if you remember in the sort of first few episodes of our podcast jake i said mm-hmm. that any number of teams could get a podium and to be fair i think one of the big ones i said was someone like alfa romeo albeit alfa romeo haven't got a podium <laughs> this year we've had mercedes red bull alfa tauri ferrari mclaren aston martin alpine yeah lots the of only teams two that haven't are hassan alfa romeo so I feel like even though I said Alfa Romeo could potentially get a podium, you know, I don't feel like my prediction of quite a lot of teams are going to get podiums this year was that far off. No, certainly not. I mean, I guess you could look at Williams. The Williams won a little bit, you know. That, I mean, that's 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 the most fortunate one. But yes, a podium is a podium, and he put it on on the podium basically even, in qualifying even and made podium, it work. Williams still got you know several other points finishes after yeah. before that. Yeah. Uh, Austria had some strong performance um, uh, well until George Russell's um, hydraulic pump system gave way but he was so running they, up they got their P7. first points in Hungary and then say the in Hungary Greece, they then got a podium so yeah so there you are no that's that's, that's definitely true uh, and then our final bit of news on Hamilton Chris yeah Hamilton has said he's ready to step in and help his new teammate George Russell become the next world champion um, obviously George Russell definitely you know a world champion in the making you know he's been phenomenal the one time he stepped in a Mercedes last year he looks natural he looked like he was rapid rapid and you know I feel like having a guidance of Lewis Hamilton will only make him better obviously Lewis isn't going to be staying around in the sport you know in the next sort of five years he's, he's going to go within that time so maybe having you know, that guidance, a bit like what Felipe Massa had, if you remember back in 06. Mm. They had mm. that guidance for the year. At the end of the season, he ended up winning a couple of races. 2007, he was, he was fighting with Kimi and one of the constructors. In the following year, they he, he was, you know, two corners away from winning the World Championship. So mm. maybe having that sort of guide and, you know, person to sort of take him to the next level is exactly what George needs. And whether it happens, you know, whilst they're still teammates or whether it happens after Lewis goes and George becomes the main driver, you know, it's 
something to keep an eye on. But George, I have no doubt, will be fighting for world championships, you know, mm, absolutely sooner rather than later. Well, at, uh, you know, at the same time, we do have to remember that how much do we read into this? Hamill did say along with this point that as much as he's ready to step in and help his his new teammate, obviously they will still be racing. But that's the point. They are, at the end of the day, still racing drivers. So you can't tell me that if, you know, Hamilton and, and Russell were batting out on track, that in that way he's going to help him. But I assume he's going to help in the way of maybe sharing data, showing him the furniture of the team, yeah, but if those you remember, kind of things. I think it was 2018 Hungary. Bottas and Hamilton switched the places round. Hamilton tried to then go and get the podium. Didn't do it. On the last lap, Hamilton gave the place back. Mm. You know, so I, I, I can see Lewis Hamilton, you know, fighting fairly. And if he can't do it, the team will, you know, switch the roles back round. Like, I feel like George would very much be up for doing that as well as Lewis. You know, and, and you know, at, at the time, Valtteri was still fighting with Lewis for, for the chance to win the world title. So, mm. you know anything you can do and you know Lewis doesn't want to lose out on a championship unfairly or because he didn't give him a place back and he wants no multi-21 scenarios <laughs> but you know at the same point he, he he does his talking on the track as well yeah and finally on the sort of point of Hamilton and sort of the future of helping teammates or helping the team I feel like he's very you know he's always been part of the Mercedes brand very loyal to that brand do you see him sort of becoming like a, a an advisory role or a race strategy role alongside Toto or the rest of the team in the future and helping more behind the scenes? Um, I'm not so sure. I think once Hamilton retires, I feel like he will take a couple of years away. Um, he will get on, do his own things. He will, I'm sure he'll have other projects that he wants to be involved with. Obviously, the um, diversification, like he's going to you know get more hands-on with as well. Um, but you know he might do you know a bit what like Nicky did with with Mercedes and have sort of like an advisory role, but just maybe not turn up to as many Grand Prix and just sort of be a bit more away from the circuit, help them out where where they need it, sort of thing. Yeah, I can see that happening. But Hamilton, you know, as we know, has a lot of other interests outside the sport, so could probably see him doing that. Yeah, maybe mixing and matching a little bit and. I don't feel like he'd be the kind of person to go and race in sort of, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, DTM, World Endurance. Maybe he has those aspirations that I we've mean, never really heard it from him. Potentially really. potentially doing the um, Extreme E. Mm, you know? With his own team. You know, he's obviously got his own team. Mm -hmm. Could you see him and Rosberg actually going for their own cars and battling it out again like old times? <laughs> of course. We'd love to see that. Um, all right, that's all the news and gossip from the last couple of weeks in Formula One. Let's look ahead to another inaugural Grand Prix this weekend at Saudi Arabia around the Jeddah circuit. So, Jake, we are at a brand new circuit. You know, as the time of recording this, we've just seen what has happened in the first practice session. The track itself looks incredible. It got finished recently. It looks very, very quick. Very recently. <laughs> Literally but like the night before. <laughs> I think the thing that I want to point out is it's got the most DRS zones of anywhere on the circuit. Like We've got four DRS zones. Like That's unheard of. We've had three at tracks, but this one is a rapid, rapid circuit with four DRS zones. I don't know how they're going to get all the overtaken in in that. <laughs> no, I feel like there's going to be either massive DRS train, cent Central, Central City, DRS City, or 
it's going to provide some incredible overtaking. Average speed of this circuit, 155 or 160 something mile an hour. Very close, only second to is Monza it, for the... the is uh, in it on throttle like 78% of the lap? Yep, something ridiculous like that. 27 turns and only about 14 of them are real turns, you know, like that drivers have to make some kind of effort into the steering wheel. So it, it really is fast. This is not a race that you want to have a poor battery for, and it's not a race that you don't want to be told not to drink, like mm. Sergio <laughs> No, it's going to be a long one. It's going to be a physical one. Of course, Saudi Arabia under the heat. Thankfully, it's a night race. But a good point on the battery there. It's going to be really hard to recharge the battery because, of course, the battery very much relies on on braking to recover a lot of the uh, kinetic energy. And obviously, with the speed of the circuit as well, and obviously being a street circuit... You know, there's a very high chance of getting some safety cars, which, you know, battery-wise would help them out massively. But, you know, qualifying, you're going to be on your lap. Are, are we? Do you reckon we're going to see two cool-down laps before they go out for a second lap, if, they, if they're going to do that, just to, you know, charge the battery up fully? Well, you, you would think so, wouldn't you? Because otherwise, they're not going to get a lot of opportunity to do that. But, but secondly, when you mention qualifying, there's probably going to be a lot of traffic. I mean, you know, you know how... Much of a problem it is at Monza, and I, I know there's sort of different tracks, but if you're thinking about sort of uh, high speed and and, and See, just sort of flat out, I would out not want is to be behind someone. Like I, no. I, I get slipstream is very nice, and you know you can get great speed, but with the tightness of some of the corners, you know, especially in that first sector, it's very twisty and windy, and you know you, you're constantly up and down gears to try and you know perfect the lines. Mm. The last thing you want is that tiny bit of dirt here, yeah. so I can see a bit of a traffic jam, but Luckily, there is quite a lot of straight that you can sort of, you know, move out of the way. Mm. Um, unlike Monza, which is everyone just wants the, the slipstream because it's not so bad. Mm. But this one is, you know, more Monaco-esque with a hint of Monza. Yeah. And a lot of a lot of the turns that drivers go through, it's very, you know, they come at you very fast, very twisty and windy. And a lot of the turns are blind. So they've, you know, they've, they've really got to be on it, the drivers. But even more so, the FIA have tried to make that situation better this weekend by bringing in some of their most experienced marshals from uh, across the world, particularly the Bahraini marshals who are regarded as some of the best in the world, of course, as well as the, the British ones and the UK marshals to try and, you know, be helpful for the drivers as much as they can when there's a car close, especially in qualifying. That's going to be a real strategic play as to when you send the car out and it can make all the difference between getting that lap in and getting the tyres switched on at the right time as we saw with Sergio Perez last time out in Qatar. I wonder if Mercedes have brought the the Qatari uh, marshal that (laughs) waved the yellow flag for this Grand Prix. Well, um, you know, we're not going to get into... uh, things behind the scenes or potential payoffs or bribery because we're not advocating any of that or suggesting that that is the case but yes if we were just staying in jest let's let's hope that they let's hope that they haven't maybe they've got something else up their sleeve i don't know what they're doing apparently they've whacked the spicy engine in the words of andrew shovelin one of the mercedes engineers told us at the qatar grand prix last time for this grand prix uh, and it's going to be giving hamilton that extra boost and it's the engine they put in the new fresh engine they put in from Interlagos in Brazil so uh, it could be giving Hamilton the edge this weekend but again very close at the end of first practice only first practice so lots of people doing long runs and 
doing their own things, their own strategy calls, working out what's going to work at the weekend, getting used to the track, etc., etc. I mean, obviously the track is still green as well, but luckily, mm. unlike you know Qatar, we've got feature races. You know, we've got the F2 here, we've got the the mm-hmm. Middle East Porsche Cup, mm-hmm. so we've got more rubber going down on, on a track that is very much freshly laid. So it's going to be grippier as the weekend goes out. Um, so hopefully, you know, the lap times should come down. You know, we've, we finally got into the 29s, you know, Lewis Hamilton, the first driver in the 29s earlier. But what, what, you, what are you predicting as, <sighs> as a qualifying lap, Jake? Do you reckon 28s, 27s, 26s? Well, we've been racing on the F1 game, haven't we? Keenly. We have. Um, however, on the F1 game at the moment, there is one less DRS zone. So that actually sort of plays into into your thoughts a little bit. But we've been achieving sort of, you know, sort of mid 27s ish on, yeah, like on, on the F1 game. And you would think that, you know, it would be very close to matching it in, in real life. But with that extra DRS zone, they could go into the 26s. You never know. So I'm, I'm predicting a 26 a lap. And I'm predicting that Lewis Hamilton is going to take that this weekend. I just feel like the Mercedes, the power, you know, the power unit, the ICE that they've got in that back of that car saved, especially in some respects with this race. I think uh, that's going to be pole position for Hamilton. What do you think? So you feel like out of all the tracks he's done, he's still going to only have four that he's never to have pole at. Yes, very much so. Yes, I do. Yeah, I think, I mean, looking over, I mean, Mercedes did a lot of soft higher running, um, but when it came to it, they, they ended up doing the faster lap out of uh, the two. So I feel like Lewis has got upper ground. I feel like he's still, well, both everyone's still got so much more to learn on the track, especially mm-hmm. when it comes to um, FB2, when the conditions are going to be more like what race trim's going to be. So I feel, you know, after FB2 is when it will be easier to tell who's who's ahead of who. Um, but yeah, mm. I, I'm I'm gonna go with Lewis on pole just for the fact that he's got that fresh engine and you know it is spicy. <laughs> How spicy is it? Is it like a Vindaloo? Is it a Jalfrezi? Uh, it's definitely I mean, not a Korma. I mean, you know how I love my Nando's, so I'm gonna go. It's extra, extra hot. <laughs> extra, extra hot. It's the uh, what's the hottest sauce? Is like Vavusa or something, isn't it? Or that, oh, the, I, I don't know. I just it's know in it's like extra, it's extra in the hot, black <laughs> bottle. Yeah, it's 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 very spicy. Um, but I'm sure the Honda engine will just be as spicy. Um, oh, I don't know. It, it could be hot. It could it could be medium. <laughs> it could be so we, hot we it could blow yet. up. <laughs> Any of them could. Um, so yeah, Hamilton pole for you. What's your podium? Oh, I'm going to go with Lewis to win with fastest lap. Oh, okay. I'm going to go... Because Verstappen and Red Bull have been the kings of, of you know, altering that, that fastest I'm gonna lap. I'm going to go with Max second and it'll be tired going to the final Grand Prix and I'm going to go with Sergio Perez in third. Perez? Hmm, interesting. Who are you going with? Well, I'm going with Hamilton, Bottas, Verstappen. I think Bottas. You gone for the Hamburger? Yeah, in this in this critical moment, I feel like that it's gonna Bottas is gonna come through. I mean, we've been hoping that all season to help his teammate out, but I feel like this race, I just Mercedes, I just feel like they've they've got something. But I could be totally wrong. Verstappen looking very quick and confident with the track. Uh, in Jeddah in first practice although saying that Verstappen riding those curbs quite a lot and the the rear of his car the skid block 
throwing up quite a lot of sparks uh, as he was going over those turns through the very fast uh, left-right-hander into Sector 3. So, I don't know. It's all to, it's all to play for. Um, well, look, it's been an incredible episode again, once again, to recap what happened in the last race at Qatar, go through all the news. And this is our penultimate episode, Chris, of Around the Outside this season in terms of the races and we might have some more special episodes after the season finishes. However, can can you believe we've we've gone through nearly a whole F1 season? We're nearly at the finish. I think for us to have started this our, our podcast this season on a whirlwind season that we've had. Mm. I mean, I don't think we could have timed it any better. I mean, I've <laughs> I've had an absolute you know joy watching it when I've been able to watch it. Um, you know, I've enjoyed looking back i've been enjoying seeing things i've been enjoying like you know when people have been commenting and you know getting involved with us i've enjoyed you know speaking to incredible people that reached out to us and and spoken to you know for us i don't think any time we ever thought we would ever speak to a formula one race winner no we've had that opportunity this year (laughs) you know so i've really enjoyed this season um i've got a lot of memories i'll have you know doing doing our podcast so yeah if this is what the first season could bring you know i'm very looking forward to you know 2022 and what that's going to bring for us (laughs) well we hope you out guys out there listening have enjoyed it as much as we have and this is the penultimate ones of course we will be looking ahead to abu dhabi in the next episode of around the outside it will be episode 33 uh, of this season that we've done so far and we'll be looking back at what happened in Jeddah in Saudi Arabia it's all to play for and as you say Chris if we're going with your predictions of Hamilton Verstappen and Perez uh, and Hamilton with with the fastest lap it will be equal going in to Abu Dhabi on zero points for the last race of the season no one could have ever predicted that at the start of the season it's going to be an exciting one it's going to be a thrilling one and we really hope you can join us next time here on Around the Outside it's been me Jake and me Chris we'll see you very soon take care